If you would, please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read two sermon texts this morning. We're going to read Isaiah 53, a common passage, and then we'll go to the New Testament and read our sermon passage. Now, I wanted to bring this passage to our attention because I just want to point you to Jesus. I want to point you to his character, who he was, what he was like, what he came to do. And then we'll turn in the New Testament and we'll... uh, Consider him some more. You're aware, no doubt, that Isaiah wrote this prophecy about the Lord Jesus 750 years before he walked the earth. And it is incredibly accurate. If you you read the New Testament, uh, you can see that. With these words said, um, I would remind you that this is God's holy word. Isaiah chapter 53 Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and, to, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors." From here, I'd ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. 
We're going to read verses 1 through 17. And just as you scan the passage, you'll notice that there are um, two stories. You'll notice your publisher is divided into two separate stories. One of them is about the centurion who has the servant who's sick. And then the second is our sermon text uh, with the widow whose only son has died. I want to read this fuller passage just to give you a a bigger, broader sense of the context here in Luke chapter 7. So let's read Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's come to him in prayer and ask that he would make his presence known, even that he would give us ears and speak. Lord, we would come to you now and ask that you would do such a thing. Your word says that you preach through, or that you speak through the preaching of your word, and Lord, at that we marvel. And we would confess to you that sometimes we don't hear your voice. Lord, we would ask that you would help, that you would help the preaching, that you would help the hearing. Lord, that you would bridge the gap. Lord, we would ask that you would speak to us. There are others watching even the live stream 
Um, They have other issues and distractions among them, Lord. We would ask that you would be among them as well. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need your help. We want to worship you, Lord. We would ask that you would instruct us, even correct us. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We all, each one of us, experience painful losses in life. Sometimes we lose friends for various reasons. As we get older, children leave the home, they go to college, they get married, the household changes. Sometimes we lose jobs. Uh, We suffer financial loss. Some of us have lost our dreams. We had big dreams. And then we have seen them slip through our fingers. Um, Others have lost or are losing their health. Some have lost a spouse. We endure gut-wrenching pain as loved ones pass away. But but perhaps one of the most painful things people endure is the death of a child. Parents who have suffered the loss of a child experience agony when they bury their son or daughter. They think of all the things that might have been, all the ways they pictured their life turning out that are now gone. And as we mourn our losses our own losses, as well as the losses of the people we love. We wonder what comfort God has for us, what comfort he has for grieving parents, and what hope we can have in life after death. Luke answers these questions by telling us what Jesus did for a mother who suffered the tragic loss of her only son. Jesus raises him from the dead, and he gives him back to his mother. You can see that clearly in verse 15. You should be comforted by what you learn in this passage. In this passage, you see the compassion of Christ, his power over death, and the worship his presence inspires. So we're going to ask the question, uh, what comfort does God give those who are grieving? And um, where can we go to receive this comfort? We're going to start with our first heading, which is Receive Comfort from Christ's Compassion. Receive Comfort from Christ's Compassion. Our text gives us the account of a widow who lived in the city of Nain. The city of Nain is a small town in southern Galilee, about 20 miles south from Capernaum, where Jesus was. And it wasn't far from Nazareth, his hometown. The widow was probably very tired on the morning that Jesus saw her. The night before, she was no doubt desperate and scared. She only had her son, and now he was on his deathbed, and she loved him, and she didn't want to be alone. She couldn't be alone. And she must have sought the help of doctors and nurses, but they were unable to help. She likely stayed up all night with him, crying, praying, begging God to save him, wiping his brow, stroking his hair, speaking to him. But she couldn't save him. She couldn't help. Our text says that he died. 
So it must have been in the late afternoon when Jesus and his disciples approached the gate of the city. Jesus had left Capernaum where he was healing the sick. But as he approached the city, he was confronted by death, mankind's common sorrow. Friends from the community, perhaps uh, her synagogue, helped her to organize the funeral. Everything had to come together quickly. According to the custom of that time, the dead were buried outside of the city gate, and usually the same day they died. God gave us life, but we chose sin and came under judgment. If there had never been sin, there would have never been death or funerals or tears. But sin came into the world through one man and through death, through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin is the source of all our sorrow. And sorrow was evident in this funeral procession that Jesus was witnessing. We've all been part of a funeral processions. You see them, we go to the service, then we go outside, we get in our car, they put that sticker on your windshield that says funeral, and then you get in that long line of cars headed to the cemetery for the burial. And as you go, um, they try to keep it uh, seamless, you never stop. And if you see these cars, uh, you pass by and you wait patiently, knowing that this is a group in mourning. But we have the comfort and the privacy of our cars. What Jesus witnessed was different. A a substantial funeral procession was coming towards him. Uh, Women were weeping and wailing. Tears were flowing from the eyes. He could clearly see the red, puffy eyes with tears flowing down. People were walking with their heads down. He was seeing a lamentation, a full lamentation. Many people from the town had come to pay their respects to this widow because her loss was particularly tragic. In verse 11, 11, Luke writes, Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. It only took a few moments for Jesus to size up the situation and notice that the deceased only had one family member, a woman, and she was walking alone. She didn't have a husband, or as far as we can tell from the text, any other children. She had already taken this walk before when she buried her husband, and now she was doing the unthinkable. She was burying her only son. She was grieving again, and this loss seemed too great to bear. How would she manage? How is she going to manage the thoughts, the grief, the memories, the depression? She lived in a time where surviving as a widow was very difficult. She was surrounded by people, but she felt all alone. Consider verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her 
and said to her, Do not weep. And we don't see it here in the English, but Luke uses the strongest words available to him to describe how this scene impacts the Lord. He's moved to the depth of his soul when he sees this widow's grief. This is the character of Jesus. He cares deeply for those who are grieving. He's full of compassion. We see this when Lazarus dies. Jesus witnesses Lazarus' sisters crying. He witnesses Mary and Martha overcome with grief. And the scripture says Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You see, Christ's heart melted when he saw these two ladies in grief over the death of their brother. He's concerned about the sick, about the sorrowing, about the bereaved. Is he God manifested in the flesh? Yes, Yes, he is, but Jesus came down and took upon himself a human nature, body and soul. He has human emotions. You can identify with him, and he can identify with you. You can relate to one another. What's the point? The point is draw close to him. He knows. He knows exactly the feeling. He knows grief and sorrow and loss. And Jesus has extraordinary compassion. He's kind and full of empathy. Jesus sees and he understands. His heart goes out to those who are hurting. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And in our passage, you see that Jesus approached the widow as the procession drew near. He went to her and he said, do not weep. He's not being insensitive. He's not suggesting that she should bottle up her tears. No, he's hinting at the miracle that's about to come. His compassion leads to action. Jesus can accomplish things that are impossible for us to achieve on our own. The widow is going to receive comfort from Christ's power. That's our second heading. Receive comfort from Christ's power. The Lord turned to the widow, or away from the widow, and he approached the body of the son. The dead man was wrapped in a burial shroud, and he was laying on a bier. A bier is a flat, rigid stretcher that's normally carried by four men on their shoulder. And so they were carrying him on this platform with the shroud over him. Our text tells us that Jesus reached out, and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. His silent touch brought this funeral procession uh, to a stop, to a halt, and the pole bearers began to lower the body. The mourners, of course, in the back must have been puzzled and trying to figure out what was going on ahead of them, and everyone began to encircle Jesus to see what would, what would happen, what was going on. Because the one who had proclaimed himself the life, the way, the truth, 
and the life was coming face to face with death. The crowd following Jesus must have been astonished because he touched the funeral beer. And touching, that meant sure pollution according to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. What they didn't understand was that Jesus was and is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law. And with his arrival, the ceremonial law was passing away. Jesus didn't become unclean by touching the beer. Instead of becoming defiled, he was in the process of conquering death and defilement. Then as the crowd watched and the pole-bearers waited, Jesus spoke to the body that laid under the shroud. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. No ritual was performed. The body was never touched. Jesus used only words so that everyone would see that resurrection power rests in him. The people who were near and could hear began to lean in. They wanted to see what was going on. Their eyes must have been opened wide And maybe some hope began to return. Look at what happens in verse 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. The dead man's cold, pasty skin became flushed with color. His chest began to expand and his breath began to move. The shroud, the crowd must have gasped and began to step back as the man sat up and uncovered himself. And as he blinked and his eyes dilated and began to focus from the brightness of the light, he saw the face of Jesus and he saw the face of his mother full of hope and wonder and shock. The text tells us the man began to speak immediately, but it doesn't record what he said. But notice that when Jesus spoke to the man's cold corpse, the man heard him. The man was dead in body, but he was alive somewhere else. For mankind, death is only the death of the body. The human spirit lives on. When Jesus speaks, the dead obey. Don't miss the miracle that takes place here. Jesus summons this man's soul from the place of the dead, and he reunites his soul to his body. He restored and revived him so that he was able to immediately sit up and speak. When people get knocked out or or they're hurt, they wake up in a daze. It takes a minute, right? Not this guy. He immediately gets up and speaks. It's like there was no problem. All of this, of course, required supernatural power that is beyond comprehension. Jesus has power over the visible and over the invisible. He has power over the body and over the soul, over life and death. Jesus simply speaks and the young man is alive and talking. How can this be? Jesus is God. Nothing less. 
He has victory over death, and his victory is immediate and complete. The word of God speaks of a physical resurrection of both believers and unbelievers. When Jesus returns, he will raise the dead and unite souls with their body, some unto glory and some unto judgment. Regarding the resurrection of believers, 1 Thessalonians 4 16 through 18 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The same voice, the same voice that raised this widow's dead son will be trumpeted throughout the world and the bodies of God's people will arise. Believers will be resurrected. On that day, you'll embrace your loved ones who've died believing. And best of all, you'll be face to face with Jesus, the one who holds the key of death and Hades, the one who has power over death, the one who is standing before the widow and her risen son. The people were, of course, astonished at what they were seeing. The circumstance was so hopeless, no one had even thought to ask Jesus to do anything about it. He simply approached the widow. Jesus has the power to do things that are impossible for us to accomplish. And in verse 16 and 17, we see the crowd begin to respond. They don't understand completely, but they know that this is the hand of God. Who else can do this? They receive comfort from God's presence. That's our third heading. Comfort from God's presence. You can picture the scene. The dead man sat up and he began to speak. The crowd must have gasped. Those who witnessed this miracle were awestruck. Some in the crowd began to move back. Those who had seen, others who couldn't see, began to move forward and get closer. People in the back were beginning to ask what had happened. And soon everyone would see and hear for themselves. The son was dead and is alive again. Imagine if you saw a corpse come to life, get up, and start to talk. If you saw a son come back to life, sit up, and begin to just have a conversation with his mother, what would be your reaction? You would be shocked. No doubt your adrenaline would begin to uh, come in, and your heart would begin to race. You would ask yourself, what is this? What am I seeing? You would be astonished even at a loss for words. Luke describes the crowd's reaction, verse 16, writing, fear seized them all. You see, God's presence was evident. Fear gripped them. 
a holy reverence and awe. They knew this was not normal. Again, this was the hand of God. And in that moment, they recognized how small and simple and powerless they were compared to God, compared to the Lord, whose power and glory is beyond comprehension. They had a holy reverence for what Jesus had done. And this caused them to glorify God. Soon intermittent hallelujahs and hosannas began to ring out from the crowd. Verse 16 says, fear seized them all. And they they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. So they began to celebrate Jesus and what they had seen. When Jesus raised this man from the dead, his deity was beginning to shine forth through his flesh. They didn't know he was God the Son, the promised Messiah, but they couldn't deny his power, and they knew he was a great prophet. It had been almost a thousand years since anyone in Israel had witnessed this kind of miracle. In synagogue, they would have learned about Elijah and how that prophet raised a widow's son from the dead. They would have remembered Elisha, who came after him, who also raised a woman's son from the dead. Ascribing this title to him was the best that the townspeople could do. But they failed to realize that Jesus was the Christ, the prophet that Moses had predicted would come in Deuteronomy 18.15, that great and final prophet that Elijah and Elisha were foreshadowing. The crowd simply understood that through Jesus, God had visited his people again, and they were full of praise. Who do you understand Jesus to be? I'm sure you know what the answer's supposed to be. I'm sure you know what answer I would like to hear. But in the quietness of your heart, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Lord over life and death? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? If he is, then you know that God visit us in the person of his son. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead to give us hope in the resurrection. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and to walk with us and to be ever present as we pilgrim here. We should come before God with reverence and awe, worshiping Jesus and glorifying him for the gift of resurrection life. Knowing who Jesus truly is should fill you with zeal to tell others about him and about what he's done. Consider the crowd's response, even with their limited understanding. Draw your attention to verse 17. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. 
People couldn't wait to tell about what had happened. You know how that is. When something incredible happens, you tell everyone. You keep telling the story. If others are around you, they're like, he's telling the story again? Right? You're excited about it. And we know that on the third day, after Jesus died for our sins, Jesus was raised from the dead. The gospel is not just the crucifixion, but also the resurrection. When we tell people about Jesus, we have a duty to tell them about his victory over death. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to everyone who trusts him. And this is good news for people who are afraid to die because it gives them hope in life after death. And Jesus' promises are sure. Death isn't the end. Through faith in Christ, you can receive the gift of eternal life. The resurrection is good news for people who are grieving, but be- because it means that death is not the end. Those who believe in Christ will see others who believe again. In fact, they'll share eternity with one another. We all mourn losses. And when we are experiencing deep grief and sorrow, questions arise in our soul. Will this pain ever go away? Will I recover from this? Where are you, Lord? Are you going to make yourself known to me? You know this anxiety that I feel. Will you speak to me? Will you comfort me? And then the Lord responds through his word. The people who were there that day in Nain saw more than God's power. They witnessed his loving concern for those who are hurting. Jesus was moved deeply for this hurting widow. He brought back her son from the dead so that he could be reunited with his mother. God revealed his deep love and concern for his people. The Lord Jesus is full of compassion. He has the power to accomplish things that are impossible for us to achieve. He is present by the power of his spirit, and he makes his presence known when he speaks to you and he brings you comfort. And that leads you to worship. To know the hope of the resurrection is to know the joy of your salvation. This hope doesn't wipe all the tears away, but it can give us joy in the midst of sorrow. A day is coming when Jesus will say to the dead, Arise. And then he will say, Weep no more. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, when you brought this text to me, I had no idea how much death would be spoken of in these coming weeks. We thank you for your providential care that even in the midst of all of the death and all of the sorrow, you would remind us of the resurrection. You would remind us of your compassion, that you would remind us of your power, and that you would remind us of your presence. Lord, we would ask that you would help us in our weakness. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.